Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, surviving a hurricane. We're reporting live from Hurricane Florence on the North Carolina coast. And if you hear a few dings and dongs around, that's just the alerts from FEMA letting us know what we can do. This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And this week, in addition to tackling the tough topic of dealing with a hurricane, you're also going to hear all kind of static and bings and dings and all kind of stuff because I am evacuated and I am doing this on my phone and we're going to do the best we can. But before we get into all that, as always, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. I'm Dr. Cindy Courtney. And our amazing registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser, has been trying to move heaven and earth to make the podcast this morning. But, you know, that's pretty challenging in the middle of a hurricane, especially when everyone else is trying to use up all that internet bandwidth, too. We can't move a hurricane, but we can come to you and we're going to talk about all the things you need to do to stay safe during a hurricane, what advice you need to be giving your clients, and more importantly, what you can do to prepare for the next natural disaster. For the past 25, 26 years now, I have made my residence, my practices, my businesses, my family here on the beautiful southern coast of North Carolina. I live on one of the tiny barrier islands that skirt our coast. In fact, our tiny island is about three quarters of a mile wide and only seven miles tip to tip. So it's very sparsely populated less than 600 permanent residents, but that swells to over 10,000 tourists on July 4th. And so in this latest storm, Hurricane Florence, it came ashore directly over us. So if you were watching the Weather Channel and you were watching Jim Cantori in Wilmington and in Boiling Springs and Southport, that's where Becky and I live. And I am currently evacuated from my residence. We've been without power now for four days, four and a half days. Uh, we don't know yet what our home looks like. And so what we thought we would talk about today is sort of what it's like to go through this and what are some of the tips and tricks that we've used to survive. And more importantly, how can you help your clients cope with that? So Cindy, you've lived on the East Coast before. Now you live in Tornado Alley. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us what's the word out there on the street? Like what is the nation thinking and saying about Hurricane Florence? Yeah, so I think it's definitely obviously a big storm. It's definitely one of those where, you know, I don't think the level of worry has escalated to the worry that was surrounding Katrina, especially because the response to Katrina was so poor and there was obviously so much violence involved with uh, what was going on there. Um, But everyone's worried. Everyone knows it's a big storm. Everyone knows that a lot of people are impacted and there was a lot of anticipation surrounding what was, was going to happen. So, so we're, we're thinking about you guys a lot. (laughs) And especially as this storm was coming in, we knew we were going to record today. I think I was not certain that we were going to (laughs) record at all. So I think you are definitely on top of it for having things together for us to even be able to record. And, and Becky, has been Becky. going through everything to try and make it even possible. But um, even if you have a internet hotspot, even if you can try and get into a Starbucks, the logistics of even just trying to get enough internet bandwidth to, to do something like this in the middle of a disaster zone isn't easy. And to put it, uh, to just highlight how amazing our co-host is, not only is she trying to do all of this, but she's also deploying this afternoon um, to go and help other to help animals in disaster. So just 
just yeah, blown away. So she'll blown be deploying away. with the ASPCA, deploying with the ASPCA, as you know, to help uh, animals displace. But let's start off with sort of the lead up to these types of nat- nat- natural disasters. Now, Cindy, one of the things that we have, uh, I would say, is an advantage over where you live in Tornado Alley is we get plenty of warning. So this means that if you're a veterinary professional, you've got time to prepare. In fact, we were getting our businesses, our clinics ready last Monday. So a week ago, we were saying it's time. You know, we put up our storm shutters on last last Tuesday. And, and so, you know, I think that if you are in a hurricane or natural disaster area, then you need to make sure that you have everything ready to go because when you need to quote unquote, deploy those storm shutters or put in place your emergency action plan, you need to be ready. So the first thing I'm going to say to you, my best advice is to go ahead during times of peace and tranquility to map out that emergency action plan. And I remember years ago, Cindy, writing an article about this, and this was back um, maybe around Andrew time. Uh, and so a lot of people were affected. That was a storm that devastated m- many, much of Florida. And I remember writing an article since I had been through a few of these storms saying, hey, look, these are the things we're looking at. And the first thing I want to kind of touch on is don't depend on technology. Right now, there are veterinary clinics up and down the North Carolina coast, South Carolina coast, who don't have reliable internet. And so suddenly now, you can't bill out clients. You can't access medical records. You really need to make sure that as part of your emergency action plan, you've got a legacy system. And this is why back in the old days, they used to say, please teach your staff how to use a credit card imprinter. <laughs> you know, Cindy, something as basic as that can actually allow you to continue to generate revenue during a storm, right? Yeah. yeah. The other thing is just medical record access. Um, I will tell you that I got several phone calls from veterinary clinics as the storm was raging, and they were saying things like, you know, look, what do we do? These people are showing up. We can't get their their rabies records to them. Again, the importance of notifying your clients ahead of time because these people were evacuating. Their computers were already offline, and they couldn't give them copies of their vaccine certificates. So, Cindy, I mean, right there, don't rely on technology during these storms. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Again, as... It's so easily highlighted just by our podcast today. <laughs> right. That's right. Fortunately, my hotspot is working, but Becky's is not. Uh, and then that that leads me to the next step is how will your team communicate? Because like during this particular storm, we had widespread cellular outages. Now, so sometimes we could talk to you, we could text you, our, our people, but other times we could not. So are there other ways for you to communicate? Now, maybe it's ham radio, maybe it's walkie-talkie system. I mean, there are a lot of ways to get around this, but I think that in this day and age, we have become wholly reliant on cellular technology. And Cindy, I can tell you firsthand, it's unreliable at best during natural disaster. Absolutely. Well, and I think this is all raising interesting questions because even at the heart of the questions you've been asking is the presumption that the team is still there. So this was a question that came up in in a couple of the veterinary groups that I'm a part of where employees were being asked to stay, even even though there were mandatory evacuation orders, sometimes even pregnant women were being asked to stay when there are mandatory evacuation orders. And what are the ethics and the laws behind making that kind of request? And does it depend on kind of your status with the government? Are are you considered essential? Um, Does it depend on what like the status of the hospital is. I know you've mentioned in the past that um, when you guys built your facility, you built it to a certain rating so that it would be safer during storms. 
what, right. how does all of that play in? Yeah, we were, we were, uh, they tried to designate us as a, a hurricane shelter or emergency shelter. And we were like, whoa, we got to take care of the animals. We can't really take care of the people. Uh, and so, so you're right. Um, in this particular storm, all of the staff of, of my old two clinics um, were gone. And so we were basically, you know, we went in and checked on the building and made sure everything was good. They had evacuated all the animals to another uh, facility, which was great. But regardless, Cindy brings up a good point. Should you even ask your staff to stay? And my answer is we never did. (laughs) Laura and I and my little girls would evacuate to the hospital. We lived in the hospital. I remember back during Floyd, I mean, we lived in the clinic for about a week. I think it was six, seven nights. Um, and so, of course, we were able to take care of the animals and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I, Cindy, I think you really, that's a great point. I never felt comfortable. We certainly did have staff members that would stay. We always offered safe haven within our clinic. But regardless, you know, I, I think it really, really brings a, a an interesting ethical question. My answer is no, we never did. We certainly had some people that stuck around, but I would never, ever ask. Yeah. So it sounded like if people had wanted to stay, you provided them a safe opportunity to do that and specifically made sure that the building could, could really offer the protection that you were, that they were seeking, but it certainly wasn't something that you required or tried to twist people's arm about. No. And you definitely put yourselves said, you know, if anyone's going to stay, it's going to be us because, you know, we own it and we want to make sure things are all right here. Yeah. And, and one of the things now, this storm, Hurricane Florence will affect different areas quite differently because of the flooding. But you, you know, again, the basic essentials, you know, do you have enough food on hand? Do you have enough litter? That's always been an issue during our experiences. Do you have enough water on hand? And water becomes a real premium, especially as flooding progresses. I remember during Fran and Floyd in particular, those really depleted all of the local water you know, supplies. We couldn't get supplies in. We're going to see that in parts of Florence as well. So all that emergency action plan, you need to have that. So again, I'm a, Cindy, as you know, I'm a list oriented guy, you know, Laura and I kind of live our lives by sheets and check boxes, but the reality is you really do need them because when it comes time to an emergency, what you need to be able to do is start to hand out these sheets and say, I need you to do this, do that. And you don't forget things. And speaking of, you know, having backup plans in place, I've heard about having partner practices, having practices that right. might be outside of the disaster zone or that you can kind of rely on being outside of the disaster zone that you can reach out to, to send your clients to if need be, or to, you know, operate from God forbid the clinic is, is not operable um, when things are getting rebuilt. Is that something you guys ever did or something you've heard of or know other colleagues who, who've set that up? Absolutely. Yes. And, and so first and foremost, as an independently owned clinic that we did try to make a network of people inland that we could, in an emergency, send people to. Uh, one of the advantages, Cindy, quite frankly, of the corporate practices is they already have these systems in place. And so I can tell you that up and down the coast, uh, my friends that work in some of the larger corporate owned practices, they were already deploying staff from other places. They're on standby to come into the area to help. Of course, they came in and shuttled the animals away. So I'm really impressed with sort of what I've heard here locally on how some of the large corporates handled the situation. Very, very impressive. But regardless, if you're an independent or, or corporately owned, this is one of those steps that you need to take. And again, you know, getting back to all of this, Cindy, I think that 
in the lead up to, I mean, these are slow moving storms. Typically on the coast, um, both east and west coast, you've got several days at least to prepare. And this is going to lead into our next part. We talked about technology, your staff, you know, do you have the emergency provisions? But what about educating your clients? Like I was surprised, Cindy, with the number of Facebook and Instagram and, and text messages I was receiving from concerned pet owners who were saying, what do I do? And that's not the time that you want to be preparing for a disaster. Like it's much easier to have everything ready far ahead of time. Um, you know, there's so many great resources out there. You can even, when I was a teenager in high school and knew I was interested in veterinary medicine, there were even free FEMA courses on preparing for animals and disaster available. So um, for anyone who's looking to maybe add something to their resume, that might be something to work to, to look into. Uh, but then you can use that information to both prepare a plan for your hospital, but also to educate your clients. Um, you know, even though Becky isn't able to join us live here, she was just saying, you know, again, making sure to have your records. There are ASPCA apps that can help help you out, making sure to get out early, not waiting till the last minute. Um, on the veterinary side, we know having reliable identification methods right. is really important. There was even a, a veterinarian in one of the groups I'm a part of recently who, you know, didn't have her own dog microchipped and the dog lost its tag and the dog escaped from um, a, a house where there had been a fire and they can't find the dog. So making sure to have appropriate identification um, measures, having photos of your pet that you can use in the event that they do get lost. All of those things are really important. Making sure you have medications, having list of what those medications are. There's there's definitely a lot to plan for. Yeah, and and there's so much bad information, Cindy, that happened yeah. during the storm. I mean, there were these people on TV and on Facebook basically saying, you know, to take duct tape and write your pet's name and put it on the collar. It's like, okay, that's great as long as your collar doesn't get lost, which we all know does happen. Another right. person was saying, take a Sharpie and write your name and address and telephone number on the dog or cat's stomach. I was like, okay, <laughs> you know, that's really not going to be as effective as you think. I mean, I hope it is and I hope it, it saves yeah. some animals, but you know, in a hurricane with the torrential downpours, chances are those permanent markers are going to be difficult to read, you know, after very limited exposure to the water. So, you know, again, like Cindy said, this is the time now. And it, honestly, if you're listening to this podcast and you're anywhere near earthquake, mudslide, tornadoes, wildfires, this is the time to really reemphasize to clients the importance of microchipping and having access to your medical records. I mean, this is really simple. Now, technology will help us as we move forward. One of the reasons that you've seen me get really behind and vocal about some of the telemedicine, telehealth applications is because of these issues, right? Cindy, I'd rather have some of these medical records in a cloud-based solution yeah, or storage absolutely. because- like, like, like I was mentioning earlier, so many veterinarians were calling up saying, what do I do? How do I get them their records? It's like, it's too late, but wow, we got to have technology to save. Absolutely. Um, the other thing I think about is when we're telling people how to prepare and all the things they need to get ready for an evacuation. One of the things I, even I, who had that FEMA certification often didn't think about is just the sheer logistics of moving animals and especially moving a lot of animals. You alluded, uh, Dr. Ward, toward a hospital evacuating all of the animals that were boarding with them, that's a heck of a lot of animals to move. I also have colleagues who, they have three dogs, two cats, and a horse. Right. And so moving that number of animals ahead of time um, can feel pretty daunting. Um, so any thoughts or recommendations on just the logistics yeah. of transporting that many critters? 
and where to go with them. Right, right, right. Exactly. First of all, where do you go? Because you know, we were yeah. getting a lot, of, a lot of phone calls from our friends who were saying, "What hotels take it?" You know, and so Red Roof Inn, or you know, we were giving them all those those standard you know checkdowns. But you know, you do need to have a list of the places you know within a two hundred mile radius of your clinic that that are pet friendly. The second thing is the shelter designations are all over the board. Like I was shocked this time, especially post Katrina, at the number of clinic, or number of animal, uh, shelters that were not allowing animals in. I mean, so we know that there were some federal regulations imposed after Katrina. Looks like it's still hit or miss, at least locally here in the Carolinas, but we need to make sure that we are sharing that information with our clients. And again, we have found social media to be incredibly helpful during this particular storm and outages. Um, And as I speak, even though we don't have Wi-Fi or internet, we're using our our cellular connections to go and sip into, you know, Facebook. The other thing though is make sure you're talking to, to people about what do they do with their horses? What do they do with, we had a lot of people that have backyard chickens and they were having yeah. serious questions for me. They're saying, what do I do with my chickens? Well, b- because think about it. I mean, we had hundred, hundred mile per hour winds hitting yeah. your chickens are going to get blown away. <laughs> so, yeah. so we had clients that, you know, were we were telling them, you know, again, simple things, they may not have a dog or cat carrier, but that actually worked in an emergency for, you know, carrying ch- these chickens, you know, for, for this one particular person that we, we assisted. And of course, she didn't know what to, you know, what do you take for food? I mean, a lot, a lot of those logistics that I would encourage you now to sort of think about. Horses have been the biggest issue for us because as we've seen the roadways flooding and the rivers rise, these horse trailers can't get across these, these moving water, you know, parts of the roadways. So, we, right now, I have a friend who's a veterinarian, and she's stuck, you know, several hours away simply because she can't bring her trailer across some of these deep, you know, paths of water. So, Cindy, I don't have a, an answer for you. I'm just saying this is all in the preparation. What has happened during these storms is people are just woefully unprepared and haven't thought it through. Now, this is from an old guy who's been through storms for 25 years on the coast. So I kind of, you know, we kind of have a pattern down. You know, our family's kind of used to what to pack up, what to go. Um, and I will say this, it teaches you not to be materialistic, right? Laura, like, can sure. tell you exactly, like, these are the pictures I want to save. This is a book, you know, a family book that we don't want to lose. And that's about it. You know, so you really do trim down your materialism. And, and I think that's a positive thing. But regardless, you know, a lot of people just don't know what to take, even in this day and age. And, you know, Cindy, it, it, one of the things, too, that impresses me is how mobile our society has become. So a lot of the people that are living in your area and my area, they've only been here four or five years. So this is all new to them. And so while you may think, well, this is common sense, you know, I mean, who doesn't know to do that? There's a lot of people that legitimately don't know. Yeah. And I think that brings up a good point, which is anytime you move to a new area, we're thinking about what infectious disease agents are they going to be exposed to? Are they going to now be exposed to ticks? Do they need new vaccines? But maybe that also is a really good time to talk to people about whenever you move, just make sure you know what are the natural disasters to be concerned about and put together your natural disaster plan when you get there, for sure. Um, I, I totally agree with you. Um, in terms of making sure you know what those pet-friendly shelters are. Becky made, really wanted to make sure we emphasize that. And it sounds like from what you're talking about, just realize that the more pets that you have, the more obstacles that you may encounter, the more planning ahead of time that you may want to do, and the earlier on in this process that you may want to get started in terms of getting out of Dodge, um, because you might need you might encounter more obstacles along the way. Um, and I know that can be challenging because it's probably also a more expensive adventure to get out of town if you have more animals with you, but it is more important. 
Well, in fact, to that point, we had a lady contact my wife via uh, social media, and she has three large labs and two cats. And she rolled into a pet-friendly hotel, and they were like, you're going to have to have two rooms because of the size of the dogs and the cats. So, you know, just be aware that, and, and she, so she was like, I can't believe it's costing me so much money, you know, cause she's stuck for five days or whatever, six days. And, uh, just be aware that having multiple large dogs can change it. And honestly, you know, you're sort of held captive by that hotel, right? Because you know, they, Hey, if you don't take the room, we've got three other people that will, uh, the other thing too, is on the other side of the storm and during the storm, even what are some of those hazards that people aren't thinking about? Uh, we had yesterday, um, a, a lady who had let her dog out during the storm and it, it's bitten by what I believe was a water moccasin, you know, so we can't get to emergency care. I can't get to them. They can't get to, to us. What do you do? So, you know, things like water moccasins and venomous snakes are going to be more apparent and rampant than we would otherwise associate. We're going to have toxins uh, and poisons in the water. These waters are going to be flooded and contaminated. And so everybody's like, well, what do you mean like gas or, or, you know, poisonous chemicals? I'm talking about bacteria levels, you know, right? So this is how we spread diseases. Uh, Giardia, leptospirosis. These are the types of things that are coming from, you know, wildlife reservoirs that are now being spread throughout neighborhoods. So really watching out for water. I I know that we, we saw during uh, one of the, the lulls of the storm, we were walking around our neighborhood to check on some trees. And, and lo and behold, there's a lady out with two dogs and they're drinking from a puddle. Now, hopefully everything is okay, but that's, that's a potential hazard and risk. And one of those things we need to educate people about. And actually, when I, I told this lady that, you know, she didn't know me, but then she recognized, you know, my name. And I was like, look, you know, be very, very careful. And she got it, you know, so she wasn't, you know, upset or anything like that. Um, the other thing is they're going to run out of medications. They're going to run out of food. They're going to run out of litter. So what are your other alternatives to that? You know, a lot of people right now in our area are running out of cat litter. <laughs> so we're, oh, we're trying to tell them, you know, it's not a problem you want to have, but you know, we're giving them advice on you, know, whether it's shredding paper, whether it's getting sand. I mean, you know, you're going to have to figure something out pretty quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you were talking about medications and making sure you have enough medication, That just made me think about the logistics from a veterinary practice standpoint of even if people do what they're supposed to and they start coming to you to get ahead, to make sure that they have enough, to make sure they have their refills, you might end up having your stock spare. Um, Where else can you kind of direct them so that they can get it, you know, especially for those items that, you know, maybe they can't get at their local human pharmacy. Maybe we are glad in those moments to have some of those online pharmacies that can deliver right away. Right. I remember doing, during Floyd, we did run out of several key antibiotics uh, because of just that. Logistically, we couldn't get supplies in for a couple of weeks. And the pharmacists actually were denying some of our prescriptions. They said, hey, we have to reserve priority for human patients because, again, this was a widespread global thing. The other thing I do want to caution people about is theft because the bad guys know that your alarm systems are probably down <laughs> during power outages. And again, if you're not doing the double locks and, you know, really having your, your DEA, you know, requirements down pat, these are those things that I worry about. And, and Cindy, right now I can tell you, um, in a couple of our areas, they've had some martial law, you know, they've got, um, National Guard people rolling through towns. There's been some looting in our area. And so if you're a veterinary hospital, you need to be preparing for what if I can't get back to my clinic? And what if the the power goes out to our alarm systems? Do I have enough physical barriers to keep people from potentially taking things that they shouldn't, you know, especially the drugs? Yeah. And I think you've talked in the past about 
speaking of power, <laughs> having generators, because also what do we have in the hospital? We have a fridge, right? So we have right. our fridge full of vaccines. Um, that is a significant financial investment. And I think sometimes we also don't talk about the financial impact of these kind of disasters oh, yeah. on practices and whether or not practices are really prepared to deal with the potential financial fallout. Um, I would want to speak to for our staff, like what happens to our staff when the hospital is closed for weeks? Do right. we have plans in place to help make sure that our employees can still pay, pay their bills? Because it, it's definitely obviously a period of strain on all of us. And, you know, our homes might be damaged, their homes might be damaged, and, and we all have bills to pay, especially in the aftermath. Yeah. Your staff could be without work for a week or more. How will that affect them? You know, what can you do as an employer? What responsibility or, or ethical obligation do you have to, to pay them? I mean, you know, these are some lean times. I will tell you this. People up north can relate to this. You don't ever make back snow days. You know, I used to say this during lectures, but we saw this firsthand, you know, this hurricane effect. There's not this sudden big surge before and after that makes up for the deficit in between. It just doesn't work out that way. And so you right now, if you're listening to this and you're affected by a hurricane such as Florence, you know, you need to be, be aware that this is going to significantly impact your budget. I remember after Floyd, Cindy, Laura, really that quarter, I remember us uh, in the bed one night going through our, our numbers. You know, this is long after um, Floyd had passed and, and she, you know, being reduced to tears because our quarter was that, that damaged, you know, just the revenue wasn't there. The profit was completely evaporated at, almost at that point, uh, just because of, of a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I don't know if there's anything in terms of business insurance that is helpful for those kinds of things or not. Um, right. I mean, or you're just essentially insuring the physical plant of the business. Yeah. I mean, we had all of the same AVMA insurance. And the, the point is, Cindy, often they don't last long enough and have the deep enough impact for you to actually make the claim, you know, because obviously you've got deductibles and things like that. So I think a lot of small business owners like us just suck it up. You know, I think very few of us make these, unless they're completely devastated. Like you said, if it's, if it's a Katrina, you know, because there were several clinics downtown uh, New Orleans that were just completely decimated. Um, that's a whole different thing. This is a slow poison. This is the kind right. of thing that just, it doesn't kill you right away. It just kind of knocks you out for a while, you know? So the next two to three weeks in our area, you know, people are just not going to be back at a hundred percent. And that worries me. Now, the blessing with this type of hurricane and this timing is, you know what? There's Christmas right around the corner. <laughs> so that'll help. Fair, fair. And for those of us kind of outside of this disaster zone, you know, who have veterinary colleagues like you who are there, you know, I think a lot of us are thinking, what can we do to be supportive? What can we do to help? Is there anything we can be doing to help, especially not just right now, but in, in the aftermath to help make life easier in any way we can? Yeah, it's a really good point because, and now let's just reserve this to veterinary colleagues. So your veterinary technician friends, your veterinary friends, that, that stuff. Um, donations probably aren't going to filter to us necessarily, right? So, so I think it's just being supportive. You know, uh, really, if you have time, you can always volunteer. I know that post-Matthew, a lot of us were taking supplies up to the, the worst uh, flooded areas, you know, so taking even just water to some of these vet clinics really made a big difference. So those kind of things can help. But I think if you know somebody on the East Coast, just check in with them. I think a lot of times what will happen is next week and really further into this week, the world starts to forget about us. And then you start to feel really isolated. And here we are knee deep in muck and we're still shoveling sand and mud. 
and no more coverage, no more news media, nobody on Facebook saying pray for North Carolina or South Carolina, right? You know, and, and I think that's the time when maybe just text messaging, give them a ring and saying, hey, how's it going? I, I can tell you firsthand, it, it really means a lot to me when my colleagues have, have reached out, even during the storm, you know, people that, that maybe I just sort of know and, you know, cross paths, you know, once or twice a year, it means the world. So I think that psychically, emotionally, those are big things. Absolutely. I, I obviously nothing to the degree of what you guys are going through now, but we, our house flooded when I was in high school and we were out of our house for three months. So yeah, you sometimes forget how long that, like you said, that slow poison lasts. Well, you've heard what we have to say about Hurricane Florence. We'd like to hear from you. Becky, I know that you're in the middle of it. So A, thank you for helping with ASPCA during these times of turmoil, but please be safe and be careful. And I can't wait to talk to you soon. Uh, Cindy, again, thanks for everything you're doing. Obviously, you have lived on both, you know, tornado and hurricane prone areas. So you kind of know what we're going at. So it's, it's nice to be able to talk about this. And listeners, you know, share with us your stories of Florence. Maybe you have friends, family, maybe you're in the middle of it too. We'd love to hear from you because I will tell you, From my perspective, the most important thing we can do right now is rally emotionally around each other and support each other because this gets really lonely. These nights without power are dark and and very desolate. And anything you can do to reach out and and raise somebody's spirits makes all the difference. And if you'd like to send your messages of support to Dr. Ward and to Becky, you can reach out to us um, at the Veterinary Viewfinder on Facebook, also on Instagram, the Veterinary Viewfinder. Um, You can also leave us a review if you find these recordings to be helpful to you, meaningful to you. We love um, hearing from you. iTunes is the best place to do that. Uh, Leave us a review and let us know what you think so we can keep making this the best podcast possible for you. And don't forget to click the subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of The Veterinary Until next time, no more hurricanes. Stay safe. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Five, four, three, 